Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. I was going to just really start with the verse in Micah that just says it all. It says, And what does God require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And that just so sums it up for me. I mean, to walk humbly with our God. Humility really is the way that we receive all promises from God. You really can't. If you go back and think of the different promises from God, you can't receive any of them unless you're humble. You can't really receive from God unless you're humble. And humility is how we receive and Hebrews six twelve it tells us even for us to be imitators of those whose faith and patience inherit the promises. And we spend a lot of time talking about faith and patience is humility. Just about the opposite of humility is impatience. So we talked about faith and patience, faith and patience, and we can't look at Abraham's faith, and um, he was completely dependent on the word. He completely had to be dependent on God's word. Um, God said in Genesis fifteen five, Look now towards heaven and count the stars, and if you're able to number them, so shall your seed be. And yet, it was really that he waited 24, 25 years for that promise to come to pass. And then, even after that promise came to pass and he had Isaac, God tested again with waiting by having him think that he was going to have to put Isaac up on the altar. And that entire story about obedience and waiting and waiting and um, giving yourself completely over to God, humility certainly is patience. And I look at Abraham and I think he has so much patience, so much patience and one word for patience in the um, Greek is um, waiting or endurance. And it means an abiding under. I think that's so interesting. It means an abiding under. So Psalm 37, 7 would be, you know, instead of just be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him, it'd be be still before the Lord and humbly abide under him. So it's that under, abiding under And so it's just wonderful for us to keep reminding ourselves of the people in the Bible had to be diligent and patient and long-suffering and truly, you know, just hold on to the promises kind of people. Um, We only get the Sunday paper. Most people, a lot of people don't even get the paper anymore, but we get the Sunday paper. And I was just reading something that I, I really think I'm about two weeks I'm reading about two weeks ago because we have like this little pile that's been shuffled by children and people and plates. And, but I just remember reading about, you know, congratulations. It's your one year anniversary in this picture of this couple. And I thought, whoop did you I didn't mean to be rude, but I wasn't trying to be rude to them. And, it was just more like when you look at that, congratulations, or you see somebody in Hollywood, they've been married for three years. 
in all of their seven years of marriage, they have never, da, da, da. I mean, you're thinking, golly, you know, really waiting and patience and humility is that long suffering that just waits on the true word of God. And it's kind of like a marriage. Um, not that all marriages are perfect and not that all marriages are meant to be forever because I'm not going into that. There's so many millions of variations and situations and deviations that I won't even try to, I'll let Oprah handle that. But I know that God's word is, is true and we can wait on it forever and know that we're not waiting too long. Isn't that awesome? You can wait on God's word forever and know you're not waiting too long because he's beyond forever. He's beyond forever. He's infinite. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. So when the word is in us, we wait. And that's actually a mark of just a regeneration is when God's word in us is in us and we wait. And I don't know why I was reminded of the the Pharisees um, calling um, to Jesus and having them say, just different questions and things to him and having him say, my word has no place in you. And God's word has place in us when we have humility, when we have that ability or a desire to wait and to abide under him. Psalm 37, 11 says, it's the humble who will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. I thought about that again this morning. It's the humble who will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. And I thought about that again this morning on the drive up over here. It's the humble who will inherit the land. See, because everywhere as far as I can look is my father's land. Really? As far as I can look, no matter where I am, no matter what state I'm in, if I'm in Colorado, it might be the mountains. If I'm in my front yard, it might be just to the next street. But the leaves coming down and the sunshine glistening through the leaves and realizing that it is his land and I'm his child and I not only inherit the land, I find great peace because I have a great contentment. I'm not trying to get more and more and more for myself because everything belongs to my father and he shares with me and he shares with you. Everything belongs to him. And so we have great peace. I'm always looking for hidden pride in my life. I've shared a lot of hidden pride with you all over the course of the last four weeks. And, um, you know, one of the things that is part of hidden pride in me is the unction of, like, I'll do it myself. And I've, I've gotten a lot better about this. I really have. I promise. But when I first got married, when Lace and I were first married, I was all of 21, and um, my mother-in-law who's now in heaven. Um, she passed away last year, and I miss her greatly, but she would make these great pumpkin pies. I mean, really great pumpkin pies. So I just decided it was October. It was nice. We had been married about a year because we got married. No, actually, we hadn't even been married a year. It was our first year of marriage because we got married on October 7th. And it was just fall, and I was going to make a pumpkin pie. So I got a pumpkin And I opened it, 
and I dug out all the meat and seeds and I put it in the blender and I made the biggest mess and my pie was so gross. And I called her and thought, you know, and I just said, you know, I just, how do you do this? I mean, this, I've literally been doing this for six or eight hours working on this pumpkin. Of course, this is before you have children and, you know, when you also have this endless energy where you're like darn do we have to go to bed and now I'm like really when is bed I can't wait and um and and she called me she I mean she laughed because I'm married to the youngest child so I'm her youngest daughter-in-law and so I you know uh she just laughed and she was like oh honey you just open up one of those Libby's cans of pumpkin pie and you put this and that and do that and that and that and just stick it in the oven and I was like what did you tell me she's like well you didn't ask and I was like oh and I thought about that you know sometimes with us and God it's like sometimes it's like I'm gonna do it myself thank you and he says okay and then we'll say well what did you tell me and he'll say well you didn't ask you didn't humble yourself and ask me lots of times it's just good to say god i think i know what i'm supposed to do here but i'd really like to check in with you and ask i'm not really sure spending time with god sheds light on the areas that aren't godly that is really what has been the biggest mirror to mirror for me you know when we talked about the word being a mirror and then the other mirror being obedience. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But the mirror in front of you and the mirror behind you shows you the blind side or the blind spot of the back of your head that you would not otherwise be able to see. But the mirror behind you is obedience. The mirror in front of you is the word. And to me, spending time with God and getting close to him makes those things that aren't okay with me come out, but it comes out so gently and comes out so either, you know, in a sense of humor or with some sort of, even if there's grief, it's not, it's a, it's a, it's not a confusing thing. It's just a really, as I draw closer to him, he draws closer to me. And, um, I kept, semi-dreaming last night that that I was holding them, that I was just holding them and I had my head on his shoulder because my mind was swirling around so many things, so many questions, so many what-ifs, so many not scared things or worried things, but more just this isn't decided and this is up in the air and this really I'm not sure and this is this and that and that and come close to him and he'll come close to us and then he'll shed lights in the areas that we need to see. I want to read this in the um, Amplified Bible. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Recognize that you are sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. Realize that you have been disloyal, wavering individuals with divided interests and purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. Humble yourselves feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord. That's humility right there. We should feel insignificant in the presence of the Lord. And he will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your lives significant. You know, I went from, I can just do this myself, to another story of, I can't do this at all, you know. 
And with God, we can do all things, but so often it is other people that we need. And after the botched back surgery, talk about waiting. There was a three or four year period that um, maybe even a little bit longer that I could barely walk and that I was in severe, severe pain. Every movement I made hurt because all the screws were loose and nobody knew it and nothing had fused and no one knew it. And I won't get too graphic with it, but all the San Antonio doctors that we went to were saying everything was fine. And then finally, um, after three or four years, basically partially bedridden and on lots of narcotics because I the, the surgery was so botched and it was one of those gut things that I knew, but I didn't know how to prove it to anyone else. I mean, I knew that I wasn't in the right position to stand. I knew that I couldn't, I was like, would fall over and, and just, it, anyway, there ended up being seven or eight things wrong. My parents ended up driving my x-rays to Austin, driving my x-rays to Houston and seeing professionals, um, in those cities who were willing to say, both of them, these are seven major reasons that she could be in pain. And one, that she could literally be paralyzed if you don't get it taken care of because one of my nerves, they explained it like being a little piece of spaghetti. <laughs> that if you, you know, cut on it long enough, you could just sever it. And so we, I look at that and I think, that just seemed like such a long time. Like, God, why would you waste four years of my life or whatever? And now, even now, I look back, and it hadn't even been 20 years. It's been 10, but it hasn't been 20. And, and I'm, I don't know, it hadn't even been 10. It hadn't even been 10. Um, and I'm like, it's already fleeting. It's just so, it's like that time waiting, I, I, wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I learned so much waiting. And part of that part that I learned about the hidden pride in my own life was, no, I can't do it myself. And no, I can't do it myself with God. I need other people. In other words, I couldn't even make it to the appointments in, in Austin. And in, in, I can barely make it to any appointment in San Antonio. I'd have to lay down in the back seat for three, four years for any appointment or anything I had to do. Not to mention that how much the narcotics made me sick and how much they affected me. So God is God's amazing how he, he'll just take something that looks again like it's so wasted. I can't get this across enough to people. And, you know, because we as humans can be so, we're so good at looking back. And, and, and he can take something that just looks so wasted and then just show us that's just a blip in time. You know, everything is just a blip in time. If you hold on to me and you keep trusting me, believing in my word, holding on to my word, believing me forever, like Abraham. I'm sure people laughed at him. Oh, your name is what? You're 75. Okay, good. Now you're 78. Great. Now you're 80. Now you're 85, 90, 95, 99, and your name has been changed from Abram by God to Abraham, father of many nations. It means father of many nations. Well, that is really funny because you don't have any kids. And it wasn't until he was 100 that that promise was answered. And I'm sure he said, God, why 25 years? 
to him and God, but he kept holding on. And that's such a picture of humility. We need to realize that waiting on God is a picture of humility, waiting and receiving his promises in love. Isaiah 66, the second part of verse 2 says, But this is the man to whom I will look and have regard, he who is humble and of a broken and wounded spirit, and who trembles at my word and reveres my commands. Wow. I, I love that. This is who I look at and have regard. This is who God looks at and has regard. Is he who is humble and has a wounded spirit. You know, and it basically says in the in the in the awness of you, in the immensity of you, in the infiniteness of you, God, I am so insignificant in your significance. I am not awed by me. I am not impressed by what I got done today. I am not impressed by me at all. Not impressed by my track record. If I've done anything good in my whole life, then it's been because of you. And so I can just say, I'm so insignificant and you're so significant. God says, that's the person that I can use. That's the person that I can regard. That's the person that I can tell my promises and my secrets and the person that I can know will hold on and not let go, not walk away. We talked um, last time about how humility is a position of the heart and that it's a position of the body. I don't know how many of you remember or heard, but, and it's also a position of praise. Humility is really a position of praise. It's not being on the first row necessarily in church and singing the best and having your, depending on what church you go to, your hands raised or being on, you know, being in the nicest Easter outfit or whatever you want to say, it, it, what, however you praise God, it's not in how much you give to the church or how much you give to world vision or anything like that. It's, it's a humility is, is a position of praise. God wants us to be humble when we praise. And I love second Corinthians twenty twelve because it goes back and talks about what happened when King Jehoshaphat found out that they were going to be attacked and, uh, he, it goes through really all four places of humility, a position of the heart, a position of the body, a position of praise, and um, it's interesting, or all three positions. In 2 Corinthians 20, verse 12, King Jehoshaphat says this, and I think we need to say this more often. I'm encouraged to say this more often. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I mean, I'd like, I need to start answering that more often when people say, well, what are you going to do about blah, blah, blah? You know what? I don't know what I'm going to do, but my eyes are upon God. I mean, truly that needs to be what we say, and that needs to be the position of our heart, even when we're by ourselves and our own mind comes and says, well, what are you going to do? Or what are you going to do about this or that? And just say, I'm not sure my eyes are on God. I'm not sure my eyes are on God. 
So it's a position of the heart. It's a position of the body. In 2 Corinthians 20.18, it says that after Jehoshaphat says this, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you, God. In other words, he's putting the whole situation back into God's hands. He then bowed his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. He literally bowed his face to the ground. And it is a position, humility is a position of the body. There are times that, you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't even understand why churches kneel. Kneel, stand, kneel, stand, stand, kneel. Well, it used to not mean just a cultural thing or a traditional thing. It, 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 it for many people, for many centuries, it was the position of just humility. And I don't know about you, but my position of humility a lot of times is, just laying flat on my face. I mean, knowing that I am insignificant and he is significant and I don't know what to do, but you do. And just giving it over to him. And that's what I mean about him giving the humble just the peace. They inherit the land, that the peace, because the peace, you can, you can have all the land in the world, honestly, under your name. You don't have contentment. You don't have anything. I mean, that could be just a whole nother thing that we talk about sometimes. What's what's the difference between, you know, contentment and happiness? Huge difference. One of them is not rocked by circumstance. And then if you look at this third humility, it's a position of praise, to praise him and give him splendor. In 2 Corinthians 20 verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, all of their enemies were defeated. If we could get a vision of that and keep with it, that as we begin to sing and praise and as we begin to lift up our voice and say, God, you are holy and magnificent. Literally, the enemy is defeated before us. So often we, we spend a lot of time in spiritual warfare or we ask people to pray for us and we forget that praise, which is a position of humility, wipes out the enemy. And God has shown it so often in the Bible. We're to humble humble ourselves and let us praise him. Ephesians 4, 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And my question to you is, can you say that you're completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. And I thought, oh my gosh. I had to look at that and think, where, where, where do I need the most work? You know, I could, work, I could work on all of them. But where, God, am I really missing the mark? Where am I really missing the mark? And where do we mostly miss the mark? And I got very curious as to knowing what did it mean to bear one another in love? You know, when you're, because sometimes you just can hear someone say, I just can't bear to be around that person. Well, does that mean bear one another in love? Like, I love you, but I can't bear to be around you? I mean, is that what it is? 
or is it something different? In the King James, it's forbearing, forbearing one another in, the, in love. And forbearing means to suffer, bear with, hold up, sustain, and endure. Oh, we have to even bear with God in love. Because we, there are times where we, without explanation, and without an answer from heaven, and without a direct prophecy or a person to tell us what's going on, or some kind of little bird on a fence to give us hope, we have to stumble on as we believe God and that he loves us, and we have to bear with him and love. And that's part of humility. I had a day with um, Storm that... Um, it was just a discipline day when he was a toddler. And you know those days where it just seems like you're trying, you're, you're trying to think of a different way to say no, but there's really no other way to say no, especially when they're about to like stick their finger in the light socket. It's not like you can say, redirect, we're redirecting. I mean, you just go, no. And so it was just one of those days where I was like, no. And I put him over here and I put him over there. And then he went in timeout. And then I decided timeout didn't work. And swatted him on hand, and I don't know how old he was. He was little, but he knew enough to talk, and he was exhausted by the end of the day. I was exhausted by the end of the day, and he got in bed, and and I was saying goodnight to him, and um, I said, goodnight, I love you, and he said, oh, he said, I'm tired. I said, you are, and he goes, oh, I'm just so tired from trying to love you all day. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that way with God and with myself, and I'm sure He feels that way with me. I'm just so tired of trying to love you all day. I'm just really tired, you know. There, there are mornings that we wake up and we think, "Can't we just go back to sleep? Can't I just go back to sleep? Seriously, do I really want to start over?" You know. Sometimes we just get tired, and we have to know that that word. To, to bear with one another and love means to hold one another up, to suffer with one another, and to forbear, meaning to, to sustain and endure, and to just keep at it, to keep at it. He as the son and me as the mother. So God is God and, and us as his children. Just keep bearing with one another. And God's, of course, forbearance and everlasting love is just without measure and never ceasing or as we get to the point where we have had it and you know some of us have had it in different ways some of us have had it and I know with Lacey it's like I've had it and he's going to turn on the tv and if you interrupt him you are going to have whatever he's had it of you know because that's his way of of just kind of de whatever stressing and then other people are like, I've had it, I'm going to bed. And other people are like, I've had it, and I'm going to read a book. And other people, you know, so we all do it in different ways. But we need to know that God, God never has, never, God never gets in bed and says, you know, I'm so tired from trying to love you all day. He, he really just, he can just forbear with us. But we get a mental picture of him being kind of sick of us. Lots of times, like, I don't even know if I'll pray because I think he's tired of that same old prayer or, 
Isn't he tired of me learning the same lesson every year? Or what does it mean when I have heard the same verse, you know, seven times in one month? Is he trying to say something to me, you know? But he doesn't get tired. One thing that I, I put in here and that's going to be different for our, all of us for our circumstances, but the same for all of us because of the word, is that the word of God in, in the book of Colossians describes false humility. And we need to be aware of false humility because there is such a thing. And so we need to recognize this. It says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. And I'm, I'm reading verse 18, 19, and then 23. So that's why I skipped to 23 because it talks about all the different regulations that different traditions can have. And it says they can have the appearance of wisdom with self-imposed worship, but sometimes their harsh treatment of, their body, of the body they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, there's this outside humility, but it's not really an inside humility. It's like when a person outside pretends to be humble, but on the inside, they're not. It's not like also, I think it's interesting how Colossians 2.19, or actually uh, 18, says that some people become so puffed up with what they might have seen spiritually and they go on and on and on with it that literally the bible says they they get puffed up with idle notions in other words they're not working they're idle and when we get idle we get in a lot of trouble because that's when we have too much time to talk and too much time to think about other people what they should be doing and too much time to you know idleness is not good and so, and the Bible tells us that. And so, um, we're, we're supposed to be working. We're supposed to be busy. That's the way that we were made. And it doesn't mean harsh treatment because it goes down on verse 23 that even false humility and harsh treatment of the body. In other words, remember how the Sadducees and the Pharisees used to put ashes on them. And then whenever they fasted, they would you know, make sure their face looked like you knew their stomach was growling and how Jesus came and said, you know, if you're going to fast, don't let everybody know, you know, just don't show, let it show on your face. I mean, do, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. I mean, do things that are under, under the deal, you know, you don't have to have your name posted in a bulletin at a gala. If you want to give that money, just give it. Is that wrong? Have your name posted in a bulletin in a gala? No, but I mean, it's all in what is your motive? It's all in what is your motive? And God knows our motives. But I love the way I can also take this harsh treatment of the body because it says such regulations, and it was talking about all these different regulations and rules and things. And we have an independent church in America now that may have left the tradition of the traditional churches and is even in a bigger growth pattern than traditional churches, but you would not believe, and I know this from speaking there and from going there and doing retreats, etc. they have a lot of all their own rules that are new rules, 
and Bori. I mean, they have harsh treatment of the body. And what I think of harsh treatment of the body, I think of harsh treatment of the people in their church. You know, we can judge people harshly. We can talk about them with a spiked tongue. We can say things about them behind their back. And to me, that's also harsh treatment of the body. And God is saying that is not humility. That is false humility. He says instead that we are to love each other without hypocrisy. Romans 12, 9 says, love each other without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. I mean, hate it. Hate what is evil, even in my own life. Because I'm going to have things and habits and things that I don't think are great. And if they're not God and they're not of faith, the Bible said if they're not of faith, they are evil. So we can't say, oh, well, those are my neutral things. No. If they're not of faith, what is not of faith, God says, is evil. Because we are to have everything be of love and faith and of God Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Does that happen very often? Giving preference to one another in honor. Thinking, waking up in the morning where your first thought is, you know, how could I help so-and-so? What could I do for so-and-so? And it doesn't, it's not a child in your family or your husband. It's maybe someone you barely know. But having that devotedness of brotherly love not lacking behind in diligence, but being fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. We like hearing that. But we're told to, God, I'm so tired of persevering in tribulation. There must be a storm saying, oh, I'm so tired from loving you all day. And he had to persevere the tribulation of being disciplined. But if I didn't discipline him, he wouldn't stop sticking his finger in the light socket because that wasn't just a funny example. That was actually something he was doing because he knew knew that he wasn't supposed to. And for some kids, that's a big draw, you know, (laughs) one of some of us were those children. So we're to be not lagging, rejoicing, contributing to the needs of the saint. And then here actively, you know, what we, we're kind of like, well, what do we do with people who are like, you know, actively speaking against me or persecuting me? Well, you're to be blessing them who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Weeping with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be of a haughty mind, but associate with the lowly. You know, in any way, shape, or form in my life, in your life, have, have, have we acquired a haughty mind? Um, outside our church, there's quite a bit of homeless people, and um, I'll leave the, the youth building where I work with the 11th grade and go over to the main church, and I've been able to pray a couple of different times, um, well, several more different times, and um, with homeless people and give them a big hug and people have come up to me at church and said gosh that was just that was so nice of you to spend that much time talking to them and praying with them and I thought well not really that's kind of what we're supposed to be and I also had to think if I was in the foyer of our church and if it was a significant 
quote-unquote earthly person that they knew and they saw that I was talking and praying with them, would they have said, that is so nice of you to talk and pray and hug that person? You know? we got to see where it slips in so subtly. And I wasn't judging them at all. I'm talking about myself. You know, where is there a haughty spirit that can slip in so, so subtly? And it's easier to see it a lot of times in other people than it is to see it in ourselves. (laughs) If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, that's great. I like that. I'm not real um, big on the, the peace slogan because it means too many things and our kids don't know about the whole Vietnam thing. They don't know about all of the physical trauma and the mental trauma and emotional trauma, nor they know all of the history. And so it's become kind of a flower power kind of peace thing. And I'm not talking about it at all costs peace. I'm talking about what God said is as far as it depends on me, Let me be at peace with all men, as far as it depends on me. But even one of my best friends who lives in Israel said that it's interpreted in the Hebrew language and in the um, ancient writings that if someone comes to attack you, you're to stand up and defend yourself. Because I wrote her, what is the difference? Tell me again in the Hebrew and in the Talmud and in the old writings and and, in in, in the way that you have a perspective, what is the difference between murder and war? Because there is a difference. There's a time when we have to stand up and defend. And there is a difference. And if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And in doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but be overcome with good. Oh, my goodness. It's one of our favorite scriptures. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome with good. This morning, I thought I was going to walk blue, our Siberian Husky, because I thought, well, I got up at 1.30. I've had breakfast. It's only 4. If I, if I walk from 4 to 5, I can get the kids up at 5.30 and already have their breakfast made. I mean, I felt like Betty Crocker, you know, part Betty Crocker, part Richard Simmons. Most people won't even know who I'm talking about. But anyway, um, so... I got up, and I was going, and I got outside, and it was raining. And so I went back inside and had to take the cat and the cat bed off of the, uh, what do you call it, where walk, you walk inside your house? Uh, no, where it walks. <laughs> Treadmill. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. We, could, we all could be on Wheel of Fortune together. Um, treadmill. So you can tell how often we use the treadmill. There's plastic on the treadmill. There's cat bed on the treadmill. And the cat is on the treadmill looking at me like, so what? And I, you know, it takes me, I don't use the treadmill very often at all. It's a place where you hang clothes. And so I got the cat off the cat bed and the plastic and I got on the treadmill. There's nothing to watch. I was going stir crazy in the laundry room. There's nothing, nothing, nothing to watch except for news. Unless you want to watch all this stuff about skincare and or weight loss products, which I would rather watch the news. I'm sorry. But, you know, I had to keep saying, God says, don't be overcome by evil, but be overcome, but overcome evil with good. In my little part of the world, wherever I am, 
wherever he sends me, wherever I go, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, wherever you go, whatever you see or hear. And, and so we are to do that and then to be in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. So we're to be thirdly, there was a first thing that we talked about, and that was humbly recognizing um, humility in the Bible. And I think the second thing was recognizing if there was humility or pride in ourselves. And then the third thing is to ask the Holy Spirit to change us to be humble. You know, to tell him, I want to be humble. To recognize that love is humble. Because it says in 1 Corinthians, the definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And to me now, after looking at all of these different scriptures on humility, I, I attribute it so much to patience. Because so much of humility is being patient. You know, being humble sometimes is being a good listener. And sometimes that means being really patient. Being humble sometimes means not having the last word. Or being humble sometimes means just getting your mind off yourself. Or being humble means waiting. It's all in this patience thing. And so we know that that it's a huge, it really is, the stone or the substance or the foundation to me of all the attributes of Christ is humility. We looked at the reason that God left heaven and came to earth as a man was that he humbled himself because he loved us. And because he loved us, he humbled himself. And so love is sacrificial. It's humble. It's love is taking the initiative to build up and meet the needs of others without expecting anything in return. John 13, 1 says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then after this, he washed their feet. And then after this, he said, Now go ahead, Judas, and go. You know, he never stopped loving Judas. I don't understand it all, but somehow, some way, Judas stopped loving him because, see, love comes back. Love hopes and believes. Love is called back. I mean, Peter denied God, too. I mean, Judas was given 40 pieces of silver, but Peter cursed and told people that he didn't know who God Jesus was and he'd never heard of him and ran off and um, did it two, three times. And, and Jesus even told them he was going to. But see, love comes back. Love comes back. And God never stopped loving Judas. I look at that and I think love is so great. Greater love hath no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Do you? What will you lay down for your friends? What will you lay down for your families? See, some of us have an image that if, if called upon and some man broke into the grocery store and I was trying to buy my special mustard that I can only get at one store anyway, but if he broke, broke into the grocery store with a big, huge machine gun and said, if you stand up to 
for Jesus, I will shoot you down. I will do that. But then you'll say, well, um, so-and-so has asked for you at the hospital three or four times. Oh, gosh, I just, I hate hospitals. I just don't really, I don't want to go to the hospital. Or I don't have time. Or, You know, what? what is it that, it really is easier to die, I've said this before, than it is to live dead for Christ. Do you know what I'm saying? We're supposed to live on this earth dead to us, alive for Christ. That is hard. It's almost easier to go, you know, let me just really just gun it and do it till I'm about 40. Well, as so many people have said, life is not, you know, a short race. It's, it's a long, long endurance test, you know? And so we need to have humility and, and ask ourselves, if God says greater love hath no man than this to lay his his Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay his life down for his friends. Do I? Do I lay my life down for my family? Do I lay my life down for others? Do I lay my schedule down? Do I lay my time down? Do I lay my exhaustion down? Um, I, I don't know about you all, but well, I'm sure you can all remember, but it's not just little people, but it seems to happen a lot with little people that like to talk about things that you're like, you know, what's in between a hippo's toenails? And I mean, they can talk for hours about things that you're thinking, I am so tired, exhausted, and I have so many things to do, and I do not know what's in between a hippo's toenails. And, you know, I, you know, or it can just be people that you meet that need attention, that need love, and, and they're talking about things that you're not interested in. You don't need to be interested The world is interested only in what they're interested in. They only love those who love them. They only love those who can do something for them and they can do something for the others. It's in self-sacrifice when we lay our lives down, when I lay my schedule down, when I lay my bad mood down, when I lay seriously at the foot of the cross. And sometimes, as, uh, especially as women, but I'm not going to pick on us because it happens with men too, but sometimes you'll just be in a funk and you don't know why you're in a funk and you don't know why there's a funk. And it's just easy to kind of go, gosh, it's just hormones, you know, instead of just saying, I don't accept this funk. I don't care what my hormones are doing, up, down, sideways, or all around. I am going to just know that the joy of the Lord is my strength and that he says to rejoice in everything and in all things and in every day. And I'm going to just move forward and believe God and help somebody else and get my eyes off myself and lay my life down for somebody. Go do something for somebody else. Anything. Love is so humble. And Jesus did just that. He laid his life down for us. He laid his life down for us. And I know this is going to seem like, you know, wow. God laid his life down for us, which exemplifies complete humility. But then in complete humility, it does say in Philippians 2.9 that someday every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, everyone will have to admit that Jesus is Lord. 
I've been quoting um, Andrew Murray throughout this teaching, and this is the end of my teaching of humility, and some of us are maybe glad. <laughs> maybe, maybe we were kind of over-convicted. Um, no, I, hope, I don't think there's any such thing. But um, others of us, um, if you could see me wearing motorcycle boots and teaching the Bible, you'd probably laugh. People have no idea what I look like. But anyway, Andrew Murray says, Humility is the embodiment of every attribute of Christ, who is the very embodiment of God. Now think about that. Christ, who took on a human body, was the embodiment of God. But humility as a quality was the very embodiment of Christ. How do we have the very embodiment of Christ in our own lives? It begins with humility. Really. It doesn't begin with a faith that can move mountains. It doesn't begin with being able to answer prophecies or know things. Or it begins with love, humility. Without that, I'm a clinging gong. Or a clinging cymbal or whatever would make a lot of noise and just kind of hurt your ears after a while. Humility is the embodiment of every attribute of Christ who is the very embodiment of God. It is the only soil in which the graces root. The lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and every failure. Humility is not so much a grace or a virtue along with the others. It is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows Him as God. Go to livingjesus.us to hear the rest of Kathleen's message and hundreds more at no cost. Thousands of people in 40 countries download Kathleen's scripture-filled, Jesus-inspired, real-life messages at an increasing rate. Jesus said, freely you received, freely give, Matthew 10.8. If you are able, financially join us in reaching the world for Jesus. Go to livingjesus.us and freely give so that those who could never pay will continue to freely receive.